Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Georgina Donahue, Director of Community at Pragmatic Institute, and I will be your host for this episode. Pragmatic Ambassador Paul Marishanu is our guest today, and he's here to talk about how to unleash the power of data to craft a winning product. And it is always such a pleasure to chat with you, Paul. Thanks so much for being here. To get us started, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got where you are now, and why you're so incredibly passionate about what you do? Hey, Georgina. I'm super, super excited to be part of this podcast. And to not bore you too much with my background, but just focus on the important pieces, I would actually start by saying that I actually spent around 10 years, a little bit more than that, in B2B software SaaS companies in various roles and got now to leading product teams. And with that, I actually also have a bit of a focus when it comes to to data coming from my engineering background. That background is actually a bit diverse. It spans couple of domains such as observability, cloud, and also the automation space. And you can imagine all these spaces bring together very varied challenges when it comes to data and also vast amounts of data with them. So I really am super excited to be here and I would really love to share a lot more about how data is impacting these areas and also how data is impacting the domain of product management and, and hopefully share some, some best practices with you folks here on the call. Oh, I'm really excited to dive into it. And your knowledge and your background is so deep that I'm really excited for you to share your experience on how we can really turn individual data points and stats pulled from the ether into a really compelling through line that guides our product's growth all the way from the beginning of the life cycle to the end. So let's dive right into it. First, can you talk a little bit about how you have used data in the past or how you recommend others use data now to really decide which path to take, right? When you're trying to make a choice for your product or when you're starting a new product from the beginning, how do you choose which path to take? And moreover, how do you show the rest of the organization why they're going to go there? That's a really great question and a really 
great problem to have, to say so, although it sounds very challenging at the beginning. And I'll take you to one of the first lessons I actually learned very early on in my career. I think when it comes to, to data, it all starts with gathering the data for your product strategy, actually to build that up. And when it comes to gathering the data, I'll take you back to a story which comes from the year 2017, although it's, you know, probably not that far back as many people would think. And I'll take you to a space which kind of is right now a commodity space, but back then it was a very dynamic space. And that was the continuous delivery space, which I was active in in that year. And the challenge that we were facing at that point in time is we needed to stay ahead of evolving market trends and customer demands. So to do that, me and my team established, first of all, as a starting point, a very robust data collection process, leveraging a combination of user feedback, analytic tools that were some in the back end, some in the front end of our product, our product being an application, web-based SaaS application, which actually allowed customers to enable a continuous delivery workflow for their applications. And to go back to the data gathering process, the last bit of the whole data collection pipeline, so to say, was made out of a market research that was combining insights from users on certain forums, potentials and evaluators, like the golden triad or, or triangle of data coming from the market. So my team actively engaged also with customers to gather those insights through surveys, interviews, and user testing sessions. So that's how the whole story started with the, the data gathering pipeline and the process of that. And by collecting that first-hand data, and I think that's quite important for building up a robust data collection pipeline, we need to go beyond just behavioral data that you collect from your product, be it back-end or front-end data that you collect. So we need to go into deeply understanding the pain points and challenges that customers are facing. And in my particular story here that I was facing in 2017, the biggest challenge that they were, they were having is that they weren't able actually to automate continuous delivery workflows for their microservices applications. And how did we actually come to that conclusion or what drove our conclusion? We had some hypothesis built on based on the fact that some of our customers tried to build a workaround our product and actually relayed some of the work that they were doing to our support team and customer success teams. And the data that we got was not only one ticket, but it was happening actually at a very frequent point in time, like every almost every month we had a ticket around that, which somehow inferred a workaround that was always the same in the same pattern. So through that data that we got, the data that we got was basically, a, let's say, the, the trigger to identify that we need to start investigating based on the pipeline that I just described that we built. And when we realized, especially that one of our biggest customers was actually in the process of transforming their application architecture from monolithic to microservices, this showed us that this opportunity had an immediate upsell potential, especially with larger accounts. So what did we do from there on out, you would ask? We actually looked at market research and analysts and you know reports and forums where people are you know chatting, especially our product forum. And we discovered that beyond the support tickets and beyond this major customer that was doing this re-architecturing, there were a ton of other such cases and also some knowledge exchanged by the community. But the data that we took away was not only for us to validate that that's a problem hypothesis that is worth pursuing, but also to educate our executives, our leaders in the organization, and to show them 
the business potential of you know the problem that we wanted to solve actually and what we did with the data is we basically built a narrative around that data that showed the entire continuous delivery market landscape which was quite fragmented and also showed the potential or highlighted basically we highlighted the gap that there is a chance for our product to stand out and we did that quite easily because we had not only data that came from the users but we also had data in terms of the pain points that were coming from behavioral data that we collected from our web interface, which gave us a lot more confidence in, in projecting that story and gave that whole story and the opportunity that we had around the story a lot more momentum. So I think this story just serves as a statement that data is super powerful. First of all, you need to gather it in terms of the sources, be it from your product, from the community that actually is driving your product and use the data basically to exemplify the opportunity and combine the data that you gather from your, let's say, data gathering pipeline with some market and potential analysis of the problem that you're trying to solve to actually create your story and craft your story around the problem that you're trying to solve. So yeah, I think this craft helps you and helped me at least build really winning product strategies. And to finalize the story, actually, after, you know, embarking on the journey, iterating on a you know bunch of prototypes that we were building to get this product out into the market, we actually made it to the leadership quadrant just because of this particular solution that we added on top of our platform. And yeah, I think this just stands to show that it was a true success, but the success was not just because we worked hard and we built the product in, in time, but it was because it was based on data and solve the real problem that was out there in the marketplace. Yeah, and I I love how you really layered the usage of really diverse data sources as well, right? So, you know, you have your hard data that you're looking at that makes the path forward really clear, but you also have this really rich and diverse narrative and storyline that comes out of that research and out of that information that wins the hearts and minds of your internal audience in this story, right? It, it got the rest of the organization excited and also had the entire team feel really confident right? It's not to say, oh, this team just thinks it's cool to go in this direction. It's really validated. It's really studied. So I think that's an incredibly powerful story of an example of how that looks. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one other thing that helped us as a team, and of course, I'm trying to probably now simplify these, let's say, procedures to basically build that data pipeline up, I think there, there are a couple of techniques. Some of them are, are known in, let's say, the space of product, but I would try to just talk a little bit about them to sort of make the examples a little bit more actionable. Maybe that would be an interesting segue. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's probably going to be a good segue into, you know, people asking themselves a question, okay, that sounds really nice. You know, you built a data pipeline and you built a narrative around the data that you collected, but how did you do it actually, right? So I think there are a couple of things that we use in terms of techniques to do that. And the first technique that I want to highlight, or the best practice that I want to highlight, actually, to bring structure to the qualitative data is actually, the practice is called actually encoding. What does it truly mean? Because it sounds like a very technical term, but it's not that technical. It actually means exactly what what the name says. It's actually separating the market signal from noise in quantitative data and that's another technique, which is the opposite of encoding, which is decoding. 
which is actually translating the data into compelling narrative with clear recommendations. And you saw these two techniques actually unfold in terms of the output of the story or the outcome of the story that I just shared. So let me talk a little bit about how to apply these two techniques actually in practice. And I'll share another story, but I'll tell you a little bit more about the techniques so that you can understand how they were applied in the example that I'm going to share. So first of all, let's start with encoding, which I first talked about, which was the technique that basically brought structure to the data that that we collected. So how you normally apply that, once you collect the data, you basically try to categorize and organize data into meaningful themes and patterns. So imagine data that is coming either from your product, technically in terms of usage data, usage patterns, any adoption patterns that you could can collect from your user interface or your onboarding of, of, of your customers, or even data that would come from interviews or basically surveys or forms that you send out to your user base, so quantitative and qualitative. And I think to exemplify this, I'll bring along a story. So when I was actually working in the cloud observability space, my team actually consistently gathered qualitative data through user interviews, support tickets, usability tests, and so on. However, we observed that simply having that raw qualitative data was not sufficient. But we actually started and categorized and organized the data into meaningful themes and patterns where we were able actually to bring structure to the information. And that actually helped us uncover these hidden insights and provided a solid foundation to make decisions in our product, which were informed based on the data. And to give you an example of what it actually would look like, we collected actually user engagement data as well. And we saw that there was a drop in usage of a specific feature related to what we were calling back then in the cloud observability space, extensibility with third-party cloud infrastructure providers. Through encoding the data, we found that users found the feature quite complex and unintuitive, leading to lower adoption. We then basically combined that data and built some insights out of that. And we translated the data and highlighted the user pain points. So basically the problem hypothesis that I just described, and also recommended some improvements in the form of a solution hypothesis. So as a result, our product team successfully revamped the feature, resulting in an increased user engagement and overall customer satisfaction in the end. So you saw here how actually the two techniques, encoding and decoding, actually work hand in hand. One is there to basically categorize the data that you gather. And the other one is actually to transform the data that you already categorize into patterns and insights into something meaningful that you can build around a recommendation and also build your solution around, the solution hypothesis around that. And then the beautiful part out of that is that you can also help this for rapid prototyping or testing. And it really helps you speed up the the time to value for products and solutions that you're building. So yeah, that's all when it comes to to the techniques. I think those are wonderful techniques and really helpful. You've also kind of touched on a rapid development process that I really want to dig into. But first, I want to know about when you're using the encoding and the decoding techniques, are there any particular tools that you prefer that you gravitate towards using those? Or is it a bit of a manual process to begin? Talk about a little bit about kind of where that work happens. That's an awesome question. And yes, there are definitely, as always, some tools in the process. We product professionals really love our, our tooling. And one of the tools that I was mostly working with, especially in the encoding, but sometimes also in the decoding process, was a tool called Dovetail. The beautiful part about this tool is that it allows you actually to 
upload the video recording or even the audio recording of any interview directly into Dovetail. And what Dovetail does is actually transcribes the data for you. And the only work that you need to do and you and the product team need to do is actually create meaningful categories that could be applied and tags that could be applied on the transcript to basically group the insights under certain patterns. So to give you the example of the extensibility problem that we discovered in in the observability space, cloud observability space that I was talking about previously. So what did we look at in terms of patterns? We looked at onboarding and the level of satisfaction or insatisfaction that the customer actually expresses when onboarding a certain technology or a certain extension for certain technology within our product. We looked at actually the level of satisfaction or dissatisfaction again when it comes to visualizing and gaining a knowledge from the data to actually debug and do fault isolation very fast based on the information that we were providing through those extensions. And last but not least, the reporting part of the experience. So how was the data actually being packaged and reported within the enterprise that was using that solution? So with breaking down the journey in these three steps and thinking about grouping some you know, dissatisfaction, some patterns, some insights that are coming from you know, using that experience and then the reporting part helped us actually define our tags in Dovetail, which then you can automatically actually apply. And based on those tags, you can actually group certain insights for your development team and for your organization. And the beautiful part about this whole tooling that, or let's say, infrastructure that Dovetail provides is that when you group the insights, it actually lets the customer or lets the user speak instead of you speaking for them, which creates a lot more authenticity when it comes to conveying the problem to the audience. And of course, This motivates the development team and generates a lot more curiosity from the development team when it comes to solving that problem. But also it helps you decode the data as I was talking about encoding and decoding, helps you decode the data into meaningful hypothesis for your executive team, for your leadership team to show them that this this is not only something that, that you and your team believe is a problem, but to actually show them that this is quantifiable data. And also what you can do out of that product is actually you can quantify the amount of times that a certain pattern was described and actually, of course, then show meaningful charts, graphs based on that data to actually group that data into into something meaningful that can be read, understood by an executive. Yeah, And that's, that's, I think, the power of tooling that we used. But of course, there are other tools that you can actually connect into a tool such as Dovetail. And the tools that I would think about, of course, you can use a variety of them, but we were basically using two tools, mainly one for understanding the user patterns and the user journeys in our product. And that particular tool is called Full Story. It actually helps you decode the most common user journeys and the frequency with which the user journeys are actually attempted by your users and also detect certain bottlenecks when it comes to converting on those journeys. But The other tool that you probably would want to use in parallel with that would be maybe a tool that quantifies certain data patterns in terms of where the user is coming from, how the product, especially if it's a SaaS product, how it is deployed, how it is being actually logged into. And these patterns normally come from a database type of product or backend type of product that actually collects data from your customer instances. 
and and basically gives you the possibility to extract that data. So all in all, just to summarize, you would have a tool that would help you with encoding qualitative data. So coming from your interviews, you would have a tool that would help you encode and decode behavioral data. So user journeys in your product and understand patterns from that, like your conversion, your churn. And of course, you would need also a backend tool to help you with patterns in terms of your configuration of the configuration of your product and deployment, the way the product is being deployed and used. So with this triad, you'd be able to successfully build your data pipeline up. That's a really fantastic breakdown. I love that you've talked to us about the high-level strategy and the approaches, but also a deep dive into the step-by-step that you have used to do this successfully. Because I think one of the biggest challenges that product folks have is they gather a lot of information. They gather a lot of data points, but then the challenge is how to turn it into a data story. So I love what you've said about that and how you really make it real and you leverage these tools and also your experience to really make it real and bring it to life for the development team as well as for stakeholders. So because we talked a little bit about development and the development team, I'd love to dive into more about that and how you are taking that hypothesis that you've developed as part of the discovery phase and how you're really using that in a hypothesis-driven build process. How do you facilitate a highly iterative and fast-paced design or, or prototyping process? That's a really great question. I I really love it. And I'll take you back to another one of my examples from the cloud observability space. And I think here I would actually take you to an example which takes me back to when we wanted or we we saw a significant drop in user engagement, uh, of course, looking at the tools that I just described. And uh, this was actually coming from onboarding of Kubernetes clusters that we're actually monitoring for the purposes of providing cloud observability to our customers. And by analyzing the data, so we actually looked at at data from multiple customer instances, we discovered that the users actually struggling with a particular feature. And that feature was actually part of the onboarding process. And that was the feature that helped actually customers to deploy the monitoring at scale through a code-based approach. But the way we were structuring that approach, where it was a very manual process and, and user had, the users had to actually configure each and every field, it was not a pre-field template and also did not apply to each and every scenario, it got us actually thinking that we might actually want to try and test out a different approach. And we actually started looking at how we could actually utilize certain mechanisms that are provided by cloud platforms, especially we wanted to start, of course, Kubernetes in this particular scenario. You could have Kubernetes in a vanilla fashion deployed on-premise, or you can have Kubernetes self-hosted or hosted by a solution. But we wanted actually to start with something simple. And I think it's always good when you're trying to prototype, just start with something simple and something that is easily prototypable. And that being said, we looked at managed Kubernetes. So we looked at how we could actually leverage managed Kubernetes setup. And we did look at one method that is called Cloud Connect that actually helps you directly instantiate the connection to a Kubernetes managed service on a given platform, whether that is AWS, Azure, or GCP. And 
what we did in the process of prototyping, we actually started off by actually creating a very simple basic script, which instantiated just a set of resources. And we tried it out internally, first in our development team. But what we did do when we went out to prototype further and do further validation internally. And I think that's another important aspect on prototyping. If you really want to do a fast prototyping approach, you need to start with a customer zero mindset. What that means is you need to have an internal customer already determined that can give you fast feedback on your prototype. And for this particular scenario, we took the SRE team, so the site reliability engineering team, that was mostly familiar and was mostly working with managing Kubernetes clusters. So they knew the technology and they could actually help us understand if the, let's say, script-based, Helm chart-based way we were trying to do this makes sense. So what we tried to do next, as we just tackled, first of all, the formatting part of, of the script, we tried actually to break down the onboarding journey into various steps. And, and those steps would be, first of all, listing resources, then it was actually showing certain attributes, whether there were the mostly consolidated metrics around, around the clusters that we were monitoring and showing them in a, in a meaningful way as an export. And the last one was actually consolidating data from multiple such instances on multiple cloud environments. So by breaking down the journey, we actually were able to, for ourselves, first of all, when building out the prototype, define what the MVP would be for that particular journey. And we came to the conclusion that the MVP would just list the resources, just purely list the resources without any hassle to output metrics in a certain format. So we went with that. We went with a very simple prototype and we were able actually to build out a demo instance that actually was able to connect to one of our test clusters on, on AWS. And we showed that to multiple SREs. We did user testing sessions, basically where we walked them through a scenario where they would be actually in the position to onboard such a managed, let's say, Kubernetes cluster on, on their particular environment. And what is also important when you do this user testing sessions and these fast prototyping uh, approaches with the customer zero is to always work with your user research body or with someone from user experience, definitely, that helps you structure your interview with very open-ended questions. And why that is important is because you don't really want to bias, especially you don't want to bias a very technical user because normally, and probably for the technical audience out there that is in the field, we all have our quirks, we all have our you know silver bullets, or we have our ways of doing things. But by just asking open-ended questions, you can actually understand the sentiment behind what is being said or what is being done when the user is testing the prototype. So with that being said, we actually did those sessions and we also set out some success criteria for ourselves. So the success criteria uh, that we set out was that we would actually have a success rate of completing the journey uh, to list the Kubernetes resources of at least 70%, so 70% of the people that we interviewed. And we managed to actually complete that, but most importantly, we managed to gather learnings from those interviews, the user testing sessions that we had. And those learnings actually helped us evolve the MVP and um, you know additional phases, the, the two other phases that I was talking about, so basically the metric output phase and the you know multi multi cluster reporting phase and that was very valuable for us because it helped us actually build out a, a roadmap and a backlog uh, based on that information and it also helped us work with the development and user experience team in a in a much more of an easier way where we had all that all that data in place and we basically knew what we were aiming to to solve, we, we had basically our, our North Star already defined. So yeah, 
as you can see, breaking down the user journey, thinking about the customer zero before you go to real customers. And of course, it's also very important once you build out the MVP, when you get to a stage which you already validated with your customer zeros is, you know, as they say, you are not the user, so you shouldn't act as one. So take the prototype, the simple prototype and go out to a trusted partner or customer to validate it before you, you know, take it live and, and bring it to production. I think that's a good example of, of fast prototyping and using data to drive the iterative prototyping experience. Yeah, I totally agree. And from this story, it's really clear that, you know, if you if you're moving really fast, but you have data and you're staying really true and, and checking yourself that it's true authentic data, then you have an iterative process, right? If you're moving really fast, but you don't have high quality data or you don't have any data at all, then you're just making stuff up, right? Um, then, Then you're just playing around. You know, I'm really fascinated by some of the components that you touched on that are almost very scientific, right? The science of this process, but also there are so many that are an almost artistic impression. So kind of blending the art with the science. Do you find that there are particular characteristics of the folks that you work with, either on the product team or the user team that make people more or less inclined to succeeding in this type of a blended work? That's a great observation. And I think everything that we do in the product space is a bit of both, a bit of science and a bit of art. But to to get to your question, to think about the people that, you know, I work with mostly or worked with in the past, I think there are different types of personalities, but especially what I observed is that on the user experience side, and I think that's that's the key partner here in creating a data-driven culture, I believe, in within the product organization, engineering organization, is to have a user experience partner that is really analytical and curious, as curious, probably more curious than you would be as a product professional, and that is really after data. And I think another critical aspect to, to make this work, especially on the science side, is to have an engineering counterpart that is really driven by numbers and by data, but not numbers in terms of uh, velocity or, or delivery KPIs, but numbers in terms of user value and outcome and not output, meaning looking at things such as uh, behavioral metrics, adoption metrics. And of course, the last element of making this successful, making this art and science work together would be an executive team and an organization that is truly bought into product-led growth and actually is is investing in understanding what product-led growth actually means for the organization. And I know that many people are talking about this term and it's in everyone's mouth nowadays, product-led growth. But I think many organizations probably confuse this with the organization being led by the product, but it's not nothing more than actually using the product as a revenue generating mechanism and thinking about the experiences and also the prototyping experiences that you build on top of the data in terms of connecting them with with viral experiences from other parts of the product that would help you sell more and make the product be used more in certain scenarios. And that's why data is so fundamental. And that's why having this context of a user experience counterpart, which is really curious, data-driven, an engineering counterpart that, that believes in having that data. And it also inspires the team to ask for the data and to actually 
challenge the challenge you as a, as a product leader to be more data driven to go f- and find that data out and also then pair that with the leadership team that is truly bought into product led growth i think that creates a winning winning organization and i think that's a great context uh, to be in if if you're in that context definitely i think take these learnings that i'm sharing and make them work for you i think you're in, in the right place yeah it's funny i think that when a lot of people think about data or measurement or stats or anything like that they often think about it as a little bit a little bit cold a little bit isolating and a little bit mathematical sometimes, but I love all the stories that you have told and shared with us today because it really disproves that idea as a bit of a misconception, right? Because data is what's going to bring you closer to all of your partners internally, whether that be the user experience, the development partners you have, stakeholders, leadership, anything above and below and in every direction. It's really what connects us and what connects the product deeply to the user and to the market. So I really love that theme that we've talked about today as well. And so we've covered we've covered all sorts of different things today. If you could get our listeners to do two things differently tomorrow based on what we've talked about today, what would you what would you offer them? What would you ask them to do? And I won't make you just pick one. You can pick two. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good one and I would say Always try to lead with context. And I think when I say lead, I'm not saying lead in terms of, because many people confuse leading with managing, but lead in terms of any conversation that you're having tomorrow, where that is with your development team, with your UX counterpart, with your leadership team, try to lead with context. Try to come up with some evidence before you bring a problem to someone. Meaning try to do your research, try to do your homework, Go look at support tickets, talk to your customer success responsible, make make friends actually uh, with them and, and talk to them, get the data that you need from them. But I think another important thing, so that's, that's more of a communication aspect. And the second thing, which I believe is, is very important, is try to experiment with the tools that you already have. I've seen in many organizations, organizations go after very diverse tooling when it comes to gathering the data, displaying data in certain forms and formats. But believe me, if you have a database already out there, if you have a a tool that can gather behavioral user data and you have a set of bright minds that can combine the data, go out there and build your dashboard, your own product dashboard. And I I would actually go for a bonus third one. And the third one would be actually break the barriers to your organization, the communication barriers to your organization with data. Bring that data, build that dashboard, bring that evidence to your entire organization and let them know why you're actually going after a certain amount of opportunities and what that actually brings. You will actually see that people will be much more open to collaborating with you and actually sharing what is going on in certain departments and you'll be able to drive results a lot faster. And I'm thinking here about people in sales, people in pre-sales, even people in support, they will be also much more engaged to the product. So yeah, if there would be three things. I think that those three would be things that I would actually encourage the audience to do starting tomorrow. I hope they do it because it's wonderful wisdom and really good, really good advice from top to bottom. 
Thank you, Paul, for joining us today and for sharing all of your experience and your insights. This has been a wonderful conversation. My pleasure, Georgina. It was a really great conversation for me too. And I really enjoyed being on the podcast, enjoyed actually sharing all these stories with the audience. And yeah, um, really encouraging all of you to take them to heart and, and, you know, put data in everything that you do in product, because I think that will make you very successful. I agree. That does it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career.